For so many modern driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies and then a successful coaching and online course business. But for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. We're here to share an insider's peek into the strategies and mental resilience it takes to create and run six and seven figure online businesses. As women entrepreneurs, only 2% of us will ever earn a million dollars. We've done it ourselves and we're on a mission to help you reach financial independence by chronicling our journey and sharing our proven playbook. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow a business and build a life that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the new podcasts that drop every single Tuesday. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. Today's episode is about lessons learned from millionaire or multimillionaire business owners. We're going to share some lessons that are going around on Twitter slash X and our take on them as well as adding in some of our own. Hello, Sandy. Hello, Jennifer. I never call you that. It sounds weird to say that. Hey, Jennifer. It's like when you're mad at me. I feel like like I'm being punished. I did something wrong. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not mad at you. I'm excited to do this. Good, good. Okay, so there is a tweet that I found on X or a post, I guess it's called, a Seahill Bloom post. I love his newsletter and I think he's really, really smart. He's a smart dude in the startup online business space. And he recently shared a tweet where he said, I spent two days with a group of 50 multimillionaire entrepreneurs. Here are the 10 things that I learned. And I think you and I went through this, Sandy, I sent this tweet to you, and we both agree with a lot of these points, but disagree with some of them. And then we kind of have some of our own that we would add in because we are also multimillionaire business owners slash founders as well. We kind of have our own take. And I imagine that many, I don't know, but I imagine that many of the folks he was hanging out with are sort of dudes. (laughs) So we maybe have like, let me think, let me think. (laughs) Yes, 100%. They were all men. Yeah. My guess is they're not all, but yeah, statistically 98% of them were men. So let's just go ahead. And if you were in that group in Texas that hung out and talked about these things, let us know how terribly mistaken we were about any of this because we obviously are not in that crowd. Okay. So let's kind of go through this list. And I think there's a lot of really great wisdom in here and building on ideas that we've shared on this show for years and years. There's some stuff here that I would disagree with. So let's let's go ahead and dive in. So the first lesson that he shared was extraordinary people are just ordinary people willing to play a game for an extraordinary length of time. What's your take on that one, Sandy? I think that is check ding ding correct yeah i think it's always a long game and he goes on to say that very few people are willing to play a game for decades if you are you have an unfair advantage and i think thinking about it that way that if you can 
figure it out and stay in the game that you have an unfair advantage is, I don't know, I think it's kind of a very empowering thought. Yeah. I mean, I've said this for a long time, this long game thing. And I would say that you and I started our business, our online business journey at the sort of the tail end of 2013. We went into business together in the, at the end of 2015. And I would say like looking around the landscape of who was around when we were getting started, everyone, like most people are gone now. They've like moved on with their yeah. lives. Entrepreneurship was a fun game that they tried and then walked away from when it got really hard or circumstances happened in their lives that didn't align with this with this kind of business life. But for the people who are still around, it kind of worked out for everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of examples, right? Because who, who would still be in this a decade later if yeah. it wasn't working for you? So I mean, I kind of think that there's a lot of truth here that you have to be in it for years yeah. to see the payback. It's like a giant ball of moss like or snow rolling Mm -hmm. down a mountain right like it just keeps picking up momentum and speed even I can think of two other examples where like with Marvelous I remember you saying like we had through COVID we had so many copycat pop-up technology companies come up and they're all gone they're all gone they didn't make it most of them are gone most of them are gone and I remember you're saying just you know if we can stick in this this is really going to pay off off for us and it's the long game even for those uh, those of our clients who spun up a business in covid a lot of them have closed down same kind of situation it was this blip in time in history and but the people and a lot of them are our clients they're still around and it's going you know they're playing the long game and they will have that advantage they're not going to quit yes Yes, this is what I like to refer to as the cockroach effect. Mm-hmm. We are the cockroaches that are crawling the earth after the nuclear weapon goes off. And it's it's just sort of like we were here before and we'll be here after. And I mean, yep. that's kind of a hard analogy to talk about right now with the yeah. world on the precipice of war. But I just kind of feel like we saw it. It wasn't an easy, we didn't build the companies that we've built because it was convenient or easy or all of a sudden there was this great opportunity. It was a well thought out, well designed long-term vision. And so I just, I think that's what it has to be. You have to have that long-term approach if you want to be successful at this. And part of this, because I think this is one of the most important lessons in this list, part of the reason that this works is because you're pivoting and like adapting constantly to changes in the market, in the economy, with technology. So it's not like you start something and you just kind of keep going with the exact same strategies for years and years. Like you have to always be kind of adapting and pivoting. And that I think is hard for some people. And there's some personality types for whom that is like not going to work. So I think that kind of filters people out of successful entrepreneurship too. But okay, that was number one. Anything else on that one, Sandy? No. Okay. So the second insight is sharpen the axe before chopping down the tree. And what he is saying here is that most of the really successful entrepreneurs spent years identifying some sort of key business insight or key problem or pain point before really diving in and crafting a solution. I disagree in part with this one. What is your take on this one? This one is very unclear to me as to what he's referring to when he says identifying their key business insight. I don't know what that means. Is it the problem that you've assumed it is or is it metrics or the industry? I don't know. So you go ahead. Yeah. I mean, he finishes that point with saying this might look like wasted time, but it allowed them to deploy their energy with 100 or 1000 times the leverage later on. I think he's like, go really understand your market before you build the solution. I mean, that's what I took it to be. And so obviously understanding the market and the pain points is incredibly important. But as we teach in our luminaries program, in our launch course, 
there's a way to fast track that knowledge. And we have a strategy called sleuthing that we teach for how to do that. And and we're leading a live cohort right now this season through the luminaries. And folks are doing that within days to a week or two. And so I don't think you have to like obsess about a market problem for years in order to have the insight necessary to build a solution. Because we teach us get the market insight, then go build the beta version V1 quickly. Obviously, you will learn more as you've built a product and you're getting feedback. So it's always iterative, especially for the first few years. And so I would not do that like in a vacuum. I would figure out the least amount that I need to know to build something that people will buy and get value from. And then I would iterate from it there and get that like keen market insight while you have paying customers. Mm -hmm. I think it can lead to a lot of procrastination. I don't know enough yet. I don't have enough information in that, especially for women, that is their tendency. So that's kind of just something to be aware of. Yes, yes, yes. I think that is particularly hard for women. And I will just say for those women who are in that procrastination phase, what happens is in the interim while you're learning, the market changes, the economy changes, something shifts. You have to kind of strike while the iron is hot. Like you have to go solve a problem while that problem is acute. And there's also a lot of competition. So jump in. Like once you've identified something to solve, go solve it and then iterate from there while you're making actual money, real dollars, real money. Okay. The third point he has, which I think is great, is you've got to like hitting the ball. So I don't know how to say this tennis player's name, Sandy. Novak Djokovic. Okay. So I knew you would know the, how to say that <laughs> name. I read that name, but I've never known how to say it. So yeah. So that tennis player, he's very famous for like loving to hit the ball over and over. And in the, so this lesson is just like, you've got to love what you're doing because you're going to have to like do it all the time for years and years, right? So you've got to kind of love the game. And I think that that's entrepreneurship is a game. It's a hard game at times, like a very hard, hard, hard game. And you've got to like love playing it in order to be in it long enough. So that just goes back to me to point one. Yeah. Also, I would take that to mean, I would just, another caveat warning is that you don't need to love every part of it, right? You need to love your audience and what you're selling and what you're doing, but there will be parts. We hear a lot that people don't like marketing or social media, whatever. There's parts you don't like. So that doesn't mean that you need to end it if there's moments where you're not enjoying it. There's going to be probably a 70, 30, 60, 40 kind of split there a lot of times. So if something comes up that you're unhappy, doesn't mean that something's gone wrong. Yes. And I mean, like, what on earth would you love everything about all the time? Right. Yeah, like, I'm just people <laughs> think that it's like, oh, yeah. I don't like my offer. I hate my audience or I'm really bored. They come up with that. And it's like, it's not your business's job oh, to entertain you. It's not right. your audience's business to make your life wonderful. Like, yes. you have to find the joy in it. Uh-huh. And when recognize when they're, it's not joyful and it's not fun, like, what is happening here? One of my coaches, I I shared this on a coaching call. She said, I don't have to enjoy my marketing, but I will enjoy my holidays, right? Meaning I will go through this work and I don't love it, but the benefit of it and the payoff, I will be able to earn money to go to France and I'm going to enjoy the heck out of that, that kind of thing. You don't need to love every moment of your business. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have heard our audience express this as... I'm unhappy with something. So my intuition is telling me I'm on the wrong path. (laughs) So that is a peculiar yet very common thing Mm -hmm. that we've heard with our clients. And like, no, it's hard. 
And you don't mm-hmm. want to do like you're using this intuition as an excuse to tell you to stop doing something because it's hard. <laughs> what a convenient pseudo religion that is. <laughs> right. That's like the misplaced morality that we've often it's like misplaced intuition. You're reading into a challenge as if that is like a sign from the universe that you should not be doing this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I struggle with that one, Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. That one's rough. Okay. All right. Okay. But generally we agree with all this. Okay. So point number four is content is an incredible form of business leverage. Oh, heck yes. That's my take on that. <laughs> yeah. Content is incredibly important and we have a whole program on it called Visible where we mm-hmm. teach this organic marketing strategy around creating a body of work so that people can have a relationship with your work, right? And what you stand mm-hmm. for and what you think like a podcast or a blog. So yeah, 100%, this is all your leverage. Yes, this is the reason people listen to podcasts we recorded four years ago or blog posts we wrote five years ago and still come and join our list and buy our things because it's like you put it out there and then it works for you in the background for years and years. Maybe forever, we'll see how the algorithms treat these things, but it is like a pot, it's a bank account, like a coin jar that you're putting money into all the time. Okay, Number five, acting in service of others is the path to lasting fulfillment in business. So create value, receive value, essentially. So yeah, I mean, obviously, (laughs) serving people and allowing them to have transformations through your work is incredibly effective as a business tool, but also really personally fulfilling. Yes, I have nothing else to say to that one. That's kind (laughs) of an obvious, clear one to me. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and then the fifth lesson is authenticity is more important than everything else. So being true to your core values is as important in business as it is in life. You can fake character for a day, a week, or a year, but you cannot fake it for decades. Well, Mm -hmm. some psychopaths I think probably could. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this will show up in the way that you run your business, the way that you handle your employees or team. It's the, you know, your refund policy, it's your pricing, payment plans. It's like all those values will show up in those ways within your company. I feel like that topic has been, maybe it's just the circles that we run, but I feel like that's been really discussed and identified and accepted. Like you have to be authentic in your business. I think this applies very much though as a rule in the startup world and the larger business world, Sandy, because I'm also like heavily, you and I are both following the Sam Bakeman free trial and like a lot of other kind of startup related criminal like activities happening. And there are a lot of damn founders in those spaces that are really unethical and cutting corners and trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and the government's eyes. And so I think that this rule is incredibly important to people who don't internally have those ethics or who are deviating from them in some way. And I think in our particular sphere of clients and audience, it's very unusual. But I think in the larger kind of business world, I think this stuff happens all the time. I think people see an opportunity to make large sums of money by taking unethical actions, and it is very tempting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. (laughs) We need to do that podcast for sure. That would be great. Yes. You're all fired up about your business until you have to go and market it, talk about it, promote it. All of that feels so heavy, hard, and overwhelming. 
We know that your business will flourish when you become comfortable promoting your work. And for that reason, we created Visible, a program that helps women amplify their voice in a world that tries to keep them quiet. Build an audience around your body of work and not just your body. So forget everything you've been taught about marketing. Visible is your fastest route to building an audience of raving fans that can turn into paying clients. Inside bonus, you can ignore trend alerts on Instagram. Join Visible today at joinvisible.co. All right. So then number seven, lesson number seven is be the first reader. Stephen King once said, I'm not only the writer, I'm the first reader. So create something you would be thrilled to consume, whether content products or services. If you honor this high bar, you'll be on the right track. What is your take on that, Sandy? Yeah, I think that's right. I love the concept of thinking of yourself, whatever you're creating, whether copy or content that you are the first reader, right? I think that's kind of a a neat twist to any writing that you're doing. I would just add that I like the sentiment of this, but I think when you are writing your copy that you have to hold your, that quintessential, perfect, best client in your mind and write for them. The way that we teach copywriting is from that lens is like, you've got to be in your client's brain more than your own. Like you can't be like, oh, I feel like talking about this and I'm so excited to announce that it's got to be from their perspective. So it might be a difference between copywriting where you want to influence someone to purchase or take a specific action versus content be thrilled to consume your own content. Yes. I think you should put yourself in the position, especially of the products you're creating and selling. If I were in the situation of my client, of my quintessential client, would I want to buy this and use this? And I think that should always be a hell yes. If I were in their shoes, would I want this? And I also think though, just going back to mindset, I think perfectionism can stall people out here because again, our tastes are always going to be kind of out ahead of our ability to create our art. And so we're going to have higher standards and tastes, especially early on in business than we can maybe live up to. And so I think that you just have to watch your perfectionistic tendencies here and let sometimes good enough stuff get out the door. But knowing that it's also like you're not half-assing it. Like I think there's a... (laughs) There's a balance there. And in the software world, the startup world, we call this dog fooding. So that's like the example, Sandy, of you and I, like we use our own platform to coach and to launch our courses and programs. Could not imagine not using it, right? Like if we're not willing to use it, then why would we expect that someone else would? So I think in the cases where it makes sense, you should use your own thing that you made, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in the cases where it doesn't, you should still make something you're proud of, but not hold back with perfectionism. So that's a fine line there. Okie dokie. Okay. And then lesson number eight is, do you know what you're saying yes to? Everyone talks about saying no to things, but unless you truly know what you are saying yes to, you'll have a hard time saying no to anything. Yeah. So I think to me, this is just identifying your goals or where you want to be, what you want to do, and just making the decisions that will support reaching those goals and not saying yes to things that are going to distract you or aren't sort of all leading into the same place. Yes, yes, yes. I think as you get more and more successful at business, you'll have more and more opportunities coming into your life, into your inbox, DMs on social media, whatever it is. And it's going to be really tempting and flattering, I think, to to say yes to things that maybe are not aligned with the vision and the plan you have going for your business. So it's just a matter of like having that clear plan so that you can measure every opportunity against, does this help me you know, accomplish what I've decided my plan is or my goals are. And if you don't have goals set, you're not going to have any like meter 
or tool to use to decide, is this something I should spend my time on or not? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then lesson number nine is the energy you bring to your home life will govern your relationships with your partner and children. There are seasons of life when your professional pursuits may take up more of your time, but you can still control the energy you bring home. When you're with your family, be with your family. Present energy is what matters. Yep. Totally agree with this one. So we all have addictions to technology and devices. I think pretty much everyone does. They're designed to be addictive. Dopamine comes in the form of notifications. We all know that. So I have had times and seasons in my life where I have had to actually not have technology around me on the weekends or in the evenings. If I'm going out with my family, I often will just leave my phone at home or leave it in airplane mode because it's really hard to resist the temptation to sort of like pay attention to things. And especially coming out of COVID when our business exploded and everything was busy all the time for years and years. That was like a really constant temptation. It's just like, oh, just let me go solve this problem. Let me just respond to this person. And so I think know your limits, know what you can do on your own, and then engage in strategies to help you keep those limits with yourself. I just want to add to that that this is in your control, the way that you show up at home and the way that you show up with your family. It's not like I had a crappy day or you know, so-and-so asked for a refund or whatever terrible thing happens. You can think your way out of that so that when you do interact with your family and and are present, you choose that, right? Like I think so many people externalize emotions and this thing happened to me and it's, and I think just that awareness, and this is the work we do in our program around mindset is just recognizing that my emotion and how I feel. And in this case, he's describing that as energy. I a hundred percent control, a hundred percent can decide how I show up to my family, what energy I'm bringing, what emotion I am bringing. And I control that by choosing to think certain things that make me feel a certain way and act a certain way. Yeah. I love that, Sandy. And I just will say, I think you have to have the skills to know how to do that. That's why you need to hire a coach or like join a program where you have access to that, not only to promote our own programs where you do that work with our clients. I will just say personally, for years and years, What was going on in our customer support inbox when you and I were in there day in and day out, the ones in that inbox for years, many years ago at this point, how happy our clients were very often determined the mood I was in for that day. And when I closed down my computer that evening, like who I showed up as with my my kid, my husband. Yeah. 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 I think Joe Dispenza has a great book called You Are Not Your Thoughts. And so Mm. we just cannot believe the first like I'm in a bad mood or I just challenge you just to like, maybe that's not true. Like don't always believe what's in your mind. We can change the thought that's in our mind. I think that other people, whether that is a partner or clients or somebody on the internet, some random stranger, we allow them to have way too much power over our emotions. And it's just a matter of awareness to be like, no, wait, I'm going to bring that back. But that's a whole other, also a whole other podcast. Yes, I think that would be a great podcast. Let's add that one to the list too. (laughs) Okay, and then the final lesson in this thread is hunt antelope, not field mice. Stop wasting your time and energy on small decisions with small rewards. Your energy is limited. Use it to hunt the antelope. Yes. Yeah, that's a hard one though. That is a hard one, but it's so important. (laughs) It's hard, I think, because if I 
choose to go and work on something small, I'll get it done and it's a it's a hit of dopamine and yay for me. You're chasing that feeling of like accomplishment or checking it off the list or whatever. But mm-hmm. as the CEO of your business or the founder, you really do have to be like, what is this thing? If I choose to spend two hours on this, what am I not doing? Like you can get lost in the weeds and not see the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. I feel like Email is an example for this. Like I think this so often yeah. we respond to that like urgent slash not important stuff that's coming at us mm-hmm. that is just like, oh yeah, I can address this. I can do this. I'm just gonna go in here and these people are gonna be happy that I replied to them and I'm gonna get nice little notes back and I can check a million things off my list. You're right. I think that that is an easy thing to default to, but it also is once you decide to focus on hunting the antelope, it's so damn rewarding. Like, I don't care how many of the 17,000 people I haven't responded to in the in- my inbox <laughs> actual number. I don't care that they're upset. I just don't care. My job is not to please someone with responding to an email that I necessarily didn't even invite into my life. And I have bigger projects and problems to solve. And so it's just like, once you can like let it go, it's so damn liberating to be like, I control my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mine. I don't yeah. have to do anything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's like a million examples that we could probably come up with, but email is a great one because you feel so obligated and this is people pleasing, you know, and it may also be on comments on social posts that you feel like you have to go and they're mm-hmm. expecting a reply from me. And it's hundred percent people pleasing. And it's maybe in a launch, you're going to choose to do that kind of work, but mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah, no, nope. Mm-hmm. Nope, yeah. Nope. Yeah. No, it's fine. And it's like you're, you get to decide what your goals again are and what your agenda is. And don't let that get decided for you because I guarantee you, if you let external circumstances decide what's important to you in your business, you will fail at business. Like you won't be in business very long. Yeah. Okay. And there's one we wanted to add, which I think is also not really on this list. It's kind of related to the content lesson, but it's this idea of being present and showing up publicly on the internet. If you have a business that relies on that, which is everyone who's listening to this show. So I think we were talking about this idea of being unignorable and you have to show up. You have to put your ideas out there. You have to say more than maybe you feel comfortable saying because you feel like you're saying too much. You need to be omnipresent. <laughs> yeah. But also quality. Like you have to, yes, there's a frequency and a quality element to that. And I think it's interesting to start to really dive into what are the topics that you really want, that your clients really want to hear from you? What are you really good and excited about explaining? Like this is all the stuff that we teach in Invisible. You're not just going to obnoxiously go out there and be everywhere and be unignorable in that element. It's like, understanding the client, learning sales skills, learning copywriting, learning how to educate, inform, and excite, and get people interested in following you so that you are truly unignorable. There's an art to that. And there is a piece of time. And that goes back to the first point that's going to take a while to really start to build up an audience so that you can, whatever you launch, you know, you've got these fantastic six figures launches, let's say. So, or seven figure, seven figure launches, like, wouldn't that be amazing? But you have to grab the attention, like you have to grab attention and that is uncomfortable and that is hard. And I think people make it way too complicated, right? Like there is a Mm -hmm. simple process. It doesn't mean you have to be everywhere all the time. Like there is a way and that's what we teach invisible. And so there is a, it is a very calculated, non-stressful, I know what I'm doing each week kind of way. 
Yeah, basically be a thought leader in the area of expertise that you choose and are skilled at being a thought leader in and then show up consistently week after week, year after year. And like you, you're earning your audience. You and I have talked about earning your evergreen, which is a whole other conversation again, another podcast, like earning the right to sell things passively. You also have to really earn your audience. Like you're not going to have an audience that's meaningful to your business if you aren't earning that attention. And there's an art to earning that attention in a way that that's helpful. Also, that's not just squandering you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easy to get attention for doing really atrocious things, right? Like there's, it's easy to get fast eyeballs if you're willing to sacrifice your ethics or your bodily autonomy or whatever, but like to earn attention in ways that are respectful and that elevate you as a thought leader is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this episode is coming out. The doors are open to visible. So if you want to know more, this is, this is, I believe, happening right now. So just head over to anshi.co slash visible and come on in. We're just doing a little flash sale right now and it's open till the next couple of days. So a little plug there. It's me being unignorable. Fantastic. Okay. So that should be our hustle. Visible mm-hmm. is our hustle and our joy. You got it for us, Sandy? You got a joy for us? Yes, I do, Jenny. I think we used this one before, but I'm going to bring it up again because sometimes when I am taking some downtime and I go to, let me just get this right. I believe it's the poster club. Oh, right, right. That's been a while since we've talked about the poster club. This is where I ordered all my, it's the worst name ever. It sounds very not arty, but it is. This is, I believe it's a European, I think it's Denmark. What I love about this company is that they bring in female artists, not all female, but mostly female, who create specific art for this these posters. So you can buy unique art that's not ridiculous amounts of money. But what I wanted to, to really share is that they have this thing. So they're really big on like gallery walls. I think it's a bit of a self-serving interest if you're selling posters. But they have these beautiful gallery walls. And I just love this whole Danish vibe that's in the site. But they have a new feature where you can drag the art into the gallery wall and you can arrange it. Oh, Oh my God. I spent way too much time. So because, you know, the sizing and it's really hard to do if you truly because this is what I did here in in my work condo is I built I made this wall, but it was very hard to kind of envision it. And so they do have examples, yeah. but now they have like this blank wall and you can add the art and you can make it different sizes and then you can drag and drop it and make it all different things. And it's fantastic. It's so good. That is a damn good use of technology. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Like that's a hard thing to do. I've made gallery walls before and it is hard. I feel like you need some special degree in <laughs> interior design to get that right. Like yeah. it is so addictive. And then bringing in like one color or one element, like line drawing or what. Oh my God. I would just, it's just, I think it's like my new thing I'm going to do to relax. It's like make gallery walls on the poster club. Fantastic. Okay. Well, We will see you next week, everyone. Have a great one. Thanks, Jenny. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com.